This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back in to the Lions 247 podcast. We are fresh out of a really eventful week of Penn State athletic action. Hopefully, you followed us at lions247.com with coverage across the sports spectrum here in Happy Valley. A Penn State spring ball now into week two. We're going to be back on the practice field here on Tuesday, a little bit later in the day. Have our notes, reports, and photo gallery up on the site later on this evening. Uh, but just a few days ago, we had Daniel Gallon, Mark Brennan uh, out in Des Moines, Iowa. We had coverage of the Penn State Wrestling uh, Championships out at an NCAA Championships. Ten titles now under Kale Sanderson. They clinched it before we even saw the individual championship round take place there in Tulsa. So congratulations to the wrestling program. National championship there is something that we've come to expect here in Happy Valley. Sweet 16 appearance for basketball would have been really, really special. They didn't quite get there, but we're going to talk about how they fared in Des Moines, picked up a win, then fell to Texas. Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon were out there just as they were for the Chicago uh, Big Ten tournament the week before, and we bring them back on. Uh, they are back home in Happy Valley. Unfortunately, uh, Penn State basketball wasn't able to press through to next weekend, so you guys are staying put for a bit. We've got Pro Day to cover here on campus a little bit later in the week. We've got Spring Bowl to focus in on. But there were plenty of basketball fans, and I think a couple basketball reporters who were very intrigued by the possibility of this season reaching another weekend. Market felt five points shy of that against the Texas Longhorns following a convincing victory over Texas A&M last Thursday. What did you make from your time in Des Moines? Yeah, it's kind of odd because I'm, I'm going on my second night at home, for, for which, which is kind of weird, and Daniel, I know, can, can kind of appreciate it uh, in the last couple of weeks. But Listen, you know, I've covered the program for a long time. What a hell of a run. I mean, that, that, that's what it boils down to for me. You know, you're looking at a team that was wearing a blue jersey in every one of its postseason games. And for people who don't know, you're wearing that blue jersey when you're the, the lower seed. And to, to play six games as a lower seed, uh, to win four of them, and for your only two losses to be by a combined, I think it was seven points to the number three and the number five team in the nation. You know, I think sometimes when you're in the middle of it, whether it's a fan watching it or a media person covering it or a player or a coach actually involved in it, you, you, sometimes you don't. And it's understandable. It's it, it, it's the craziness of it all, the madness of it all, and you don't really appreciate what you're what what you're seeing from a from a big picture perspective. But I think now is a time that everybody could take a step back and and just say, "Wow, you know what this team was able to accomplish." You know, I don't know where Penn State's going to be in the top twenty five if it's going to be in the top twenty five when the final poll comes out. But that's a top twenty five team. I mean, to me, without question, that's a top 10, top 15 team. I mean, you look at who they've played, who they've beaten, who they've lost to, how they lost those games. And, uh, you know, I just – I look at it and, and it's like, wow. I think I can all I can, I can already appreciate, you know, what I was able to see. And I hope everybody else can too. I don't mean that talking down to people, but I think sometimes in the middle of it again, it's so crazy. Things are happening so quickly. But – you know, Purdue obviously went out of the tournament early, but I think everybody realizes that's a very good team. And then I look at that Texas team, and to me, that's a team that's going to be right there competing for a national title. So to play the way that Penn State did, 
didn't quite have it to get over the hump against Texas to get to the sweet, sweet 16, but I think there's an awful lot for that program to be proud of. We, we'll have a lot to talk about the leader of this program in, in just a few minutes. We're going to cover some of some of the on-court action for a moment, and then we'll talk about the bigger picture, which is really centered right now on Micah Shrewsbury, who got this team to 23 victories in year two, uh, following a debut season with Penn State last year, which uh, he saw a, a bunch of the roster leave and then had to go win some guys back and, and fill some holes through the portal. 14 and 17 was the result during that 2021-2022 campaign. Um, and Daniel, I, I don't want to shortchange what happened on Thursday night because obviously it's more fresh what happened on Saturday night when this team lost to the Longhorns, but uh, they were considered the underdog against Texas A&M. They spent a, a significant amount of that matchup leading by 20-plus points. Uh, they were reigning three-pointers. Uh, can we go back to that Thursday night and, and what you experienced during the game, after the game? Because 22 years in the making for Penn State's NCAA tournament victory. It's definitely one of the more uh, more memorable shooting performances I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, what Andrew Funk was able to do, um, he made eight three-pointers in that game. Uh, every time he came off a screen, anytime he had the ball in his hands, it got to the point where in the arena, you kind of had that the gasp or that like everyone holding their breath every time he got the ball based on what, what he had been doing earlier in the game. Um, but I just thought that it was, you know, Penn State playing its most thorough game uh, at the at the biggest point in the year um, up until that point I think they hadn't been in a game decided by double digits since Valentine's Day um, so down the stretch they were just in so many of those close games um, even in the losses to Rutgers and Purdue and you go into the NCAA tournament and you're thinking this is going to be another you know this is going to be another grind this is going to be another you know heavyweight fight based on the games that they'd been playing and you know, they just came out. Texas A&M gave them some very, you know, favorable matchups. Texas A&M didn't stick with what was working early in the game for them offensively. And Micah Shrewsbury was just really able to take advantage. Um, it was a it was a great coaching job um, by Shrewsbury, and the players really developed on the field or on the court. Um, so it was unexpectedly dominant. <laughs> I think is how I would describe it. Um, I thought we were going to be in for another down-to-the-wire game like we saw on Saturday night, uh, like we saw during all four days of the Big Ten tournament. But Penn State really, really came through. And I think that when you look back on the season, uh, as you give it a little distance, as this kind of uh, defeat isn't uh, isn't as fresh, I think that you'll look at that uh, NCAA tournament game really fondly because you know that's what you want. When your team is on the national stage um, as a fan – and everything is going right. They're clicking on all cylinders. Uh, it looks good. I think that that's something that you can really hold on to uh, and really you know, take forward with you, especially given that it was their first tournament win since 2001. So th that game against Texas, let's let's go through it because uh, Penn State was, was trying to dig itself out of a hole. It seemed like for much of the game, not a big one, but just enough to make you nervous as a Nittany Lions fan. And it got to the point where it was a seven-point lead for Texas. They had just finally hit their first three-pointer of the game with about eight and a half minutes to go in the second half. And then Miles Dredge rolls a three-pointer, and he gets fouled on that three-pointer, and that launches a 10-0 run for the Nittany Lions, who all of a sudden are up by three, entering a timeout. And, and you're looking at, what, five minutes to go in, in, away from Sweet 16. The Longhorns come out of the timeout. They go on a 10-0 run of their own. They're able to get it to the finish line, 71-66. to 66. Uh, uh, Lundy made it interesting by, by connecting on another three-pointer in which he was fouled. But, Mark, how will you remember Penn State's back-and-forth affair with, as you mentioned about Texas, one of the premier programs in the entire country this season on the college basketball scene? Yeah, you know, the, the way that I painted it in, in my takes was, and I, I've seen a lot of Penn State basketball. I mean, I've seen a lot of Penn State basketball, a lot of good basketball, a lot of bad basketball. Um, but at that moment where Seth Lundy had to steal and score, you know, I was able to look across at the Penn State fans going nuts. And yeah, admittedly, you know, all the non-Texas fans in the arena were rooting for Penn State at that at that point because they were into the game. And they, these are knowledgeable fans. You know, these are Kansas fans. These are Arkansas fans. They they know basketball. You know, th those were the four teams that were left, Texas, Penn State, Arkansas, Kansas. And I look across, and, and, and I'm, I see these fans going nuts, and I'm thinking this is what Penn State basketball could be. This is 
it was the first time in the six games, four in Chicago, two in Des Moines, where the arena was behind Penn State, where the, the, the fans, where you got to feel that, wow, I mean, this is something. And then what happens? Obviously, a turn, you know, a turnover, and then then, then things kind of kind of go south, you know. Unfortunately for Penn State, and I don't say that negatively because I think that team was absolute gassed. You know, I think the the uh, the turnover by Cam Winter at midcourt was just the guy. The guy carried Penn State in that game for, at times when everybody else was struggling, and I just think he was gassed. But give Texas credit because what did they do? You know, you, you touch on – Daniel touched on Texas A&M, who was scoring at will early in the paint. So uh, Rodney Terry, interim coach at Texas, calls timeout. And it was just a – I mean, obviously a great time to call a timeout. And when they come out, what do they do? They go to Dizu, the, 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 the big guy who – and I, I did not appreciate this at the time because I was – right behind kind of where the Penn State bench is. And this stuff is happening off to this end, kind of away away from me. I didn't realize how difficult some of those shots that that kid was making. You know, there there were times there have been times this year where Penn State has let non-star players beat it. And you're scratching your head, you know, like Gillis from Purdue. I mean there, there were t- and you're scratching your head like what are they doing? Why aren't they adjusting? And and when I saw saw some of the replays of what that kid, the shots he was making, I was like, wow. You could do nothing but shake his hand and say, you know what? You made tremendous shots. But what did they do? They went to him, and of their next 12 points, they scored on six straight shots, five by him, and I think three or four of them were really tough, and then one by the guard. And you got to give him credit. I mean, that's a that's what happens when you're a top-five team, when you're a number-two seed, and, and you have your back against the wall. And the entire arena is going against you. And as difficult as that was for Penn State fans, I'm sure <coughs> I don't know how you could t- you could look at that and, and think anything other than my God, that guy made some tremendous shots and just did a great job. And also, again, you know, maybe I'm giving Penn State too much credit, but I think just I, I think the legs finally were gone and they couldn't make a shot and they couldn't make a stop and it just wouldn't happen. And it's, you know, they got to that point where they were so close, but it was tantalizingly close and just wasn't there for them. Dylan DeSue, who you just mentioned, 28 points on 14 of 20 shooting. He averaged nine points per game coming into the matchup, and no other Texas Longhorn starter had more than 10 points. Uh, So, yeah, I think in in Austin, Texas, this will be known as the Dylan DeSue game. And here in Happy Valley, people are hoping it's not known as the farewell matchup for Micah Shrewsbury, and this is where the conversation has quickly entered. And I'm going to send it right back to you in a second, Mark. But before we do, we know that there's a group of players who are leaving, regardless of what happens with Micah Shrewsbury. And you wrote about them, Daniel, the senior class that meant so much for Penn State. They dealt with a lot of heartache along the way and some some certainly tenuous times. Uh, and now they get to go to the tournament uh, and, and they finish with a loss, but they finish while accomplishing something that had been done in essentially a generation for Penn State basketball. It's a really unique senior class that kind of speaks to the the era that we're in between the COVID years and the transfer portal, uh, where you have um, you know you have all these seniors and you have uh, you know a fifth year guy in Miles Dredd who was there for all five years, Seth Lundy's there for four years, Pickett's there for two, and then Winter Funk and Hen um, are all there for one. Um, but I think that you know talking to those guys after the game. Um, you know, Mark pointed this out to me that the the seniors, the the five um, who played major minutes, all scored in double figures, um, and that those were the guys that really carried Penn State down the stretch of the season. Uh, they were carrying them on on Saturday night, especially Cam Winter. Um, and just talking to them after the game, uh, especially Funk and Winter, um, they didn't go out to the podium, so we had a chance to kind of sit down and talk with them in the locker room, and you know, they talked about. You know, the fact that, uh, you know, they weren't really treated as almost mercenaries, that they weren't treated as as one year rentals coming in, you know, just to, to fill this role and, and, you know, to get Penn State what it needed, that they were really welcomed into things, that they were embraced. Um, I think that that speaks to the culture that, that Micah Shrewsbury created 
Um, and, you know, they both talked about, you know, really glowingly about their time working with this coaching staff and being able to be a, a part of this program. Um, and then someone like Miles Dredd, who has played more Penn State games than anyone uh, in program history, and he was really, really emotional um, after the game. Um, you know, he talked a lot about that this meant you know, so much to him that, you know, these players, and you know, he said that you know, any one of the guys on the team, they can call him at any time. He'll be there to help him that this is something that's going to last beyond, you know, leaving that arena in Des Moines. Um, then you go back to Pickett, who in just, you know, two years has became a program great. Um, it's a it's a very, very Im- impressive senior class. And I think that, you know, you talked to the younger players about, you know, how do you make sure that this isn't a one-time thing, that Penn State is in the tournament again, and it's not going to take a dozen years, that it's not going to take more than 20 years to win a game again. And, they talked about you know the culture of, of hard work that you know they saw from these these upperclassmen um, and that the example that they set is something that they really have to take forward. So um, I think that the you know, senior classes I, like this, I, I don't think they come around very often. Some of it is a confluence of the circumstances, um, but in terms of the types of players, the roles that they were you know able to play on this team. Um, I think that it's a group that Penn State basketball fans are, are definitely going to remember very fondly down the road. All right, Mark. With all that said, it was a hell of a run, but now <laughs> everyone wants to know, uh, is Micah Shrewsbury going to be sticking around Happy Valley long term? And, and we've grown used to James Franklin in, in recent years having his moments where there's flirtations, uh, to say the least, uh, with other Power 5 programs. And, and a lot of that has to do with the success he's had here at Penn State. So Micah Shrewsbury does something that hasn't been done here in a couple decades. Uh, and now other programs are paying attention, most notably Notre Dame. Uh, we talked about Georgetown in the past. They have filled their head coaching vacancy after after getting rid of Patrick Ewing. They would go get Ed Cooley, a longtime head coach of Providence. So what do you say right now? You said it. Every, you, it was a taste. It was a glimpse of what could be. You said yeah. in that, in that during that run on Saturday, you looked around the arena and you said, wow, uh, yeah, could this could this be something that, that Penn State can taste long term? It feels like if Michael Shrewsbury hits the road, that prospect becomes far more challenging. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing that, that you have to real understand about Michael Shrewsbury is that when he took over this program, it was a disaster. I mean, Penn State completely botched the way it hand, handled the end of the Patrick Chambers era. And listen, I'm not here to say that the, the athletic administration could make whatever decisions it wants. But you don't fire a coach two weeks before a season. I mean, if they were going to do it, they should have done it, you know, back in the summer and given themselves the chance to hire a coach. But having said that, Sandy Barber hit a grand slam, I think, when you look at it and hiring Micah Shrewsbury. When, when he was hired, all these guys hit the portal. You know, you mentioned it earlier. He convinced a couple of them to come back. And then he worked a portal. I mean, he didn't have a recruiting class. His, he didn't have a recruiting class that first year. And he gets them to this point in two years. I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, that that is that this is the guy you want in this in the way the college basketball world is now. This is the kind of coach that you need because he he is super intelligent and he can work with what he has and he can go to the portal and I mean. You know, listen, landing Pickett was was incredible. I don't think anybody envisioned that he was going to become who he was. But when they realized who he was, what did they do? You know, they go out and they land in the portal complimentary pieces to him. And this was a coach who, and I mentioned it on the last podcast, you know, this was a guy who when he was at Purdue was building an offense around uh, around Zach Eady and Travian Williams. I mean, it's it's like he's able to adjust on the fly. And that's what you need. So the question now is, everybody's like, are they going to pay him? Are they going to pay him? They have the money to pay him. Are, are you nuts? It's Penn State. They have enough money to pay um, to pay the man. And I think they will pay the man. What they yeah. need to show is that the NIL commitment, and this isn't necessarily Penn State. It's whoever the NIL people are. They need to show that that commitment's there because that is what you are going to need to compete in this new atmosphere. You may not like it. Listen, and I know there are fans out there who hate the idea that players are going to have to get theirs. But if you want to compete, you're going to have to do it. 
and they're making headway in football. I still don't think they're they're where they need to be, but they are going to have to show that that NIL commitment is going to be there to be able to keep a guy like Micah Shrewsbury. I don't think anything is imminent. I I, I, put, I posted this on our board yesterday, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I don't think anything's going to go down in, in the next day or whatever because a lot of people were wondering, hey, listen, you know, the Cooley thing broke. Uh, but I think that 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 he has to know that there's that that the NIL commitment is there that's going to allow him to be competitive with the schools that they're competing against. So that's where that's my take on this. Is Penn State going to be able to do it? I, I honestly don't know. I don't. Um, in in a selfish way, I hope they are because it's fun covering a winning team. Uh, but but we'll see. I don't know for sure. And that's as of Tuesday at 11 a.m. Um, right. and, and we'll see how this week develops. Uh, Shrewsbury, of course, when you're talking about Notre Dame and their location, um, a lot of ties to that state. He was at Cathedral High School in Indianapolis. He went to Hanover College in Indiana. Uh, he was an assistant at Butler, a longtime assistant at Purdue. Um, was at University of Indiana South Bend for a couple of years during his rise in the coaching ranks. So there's a lot of familiarity there with the recruiting situation. Uh, there's some roots in that state already, but he's grown some certainly here in Happy Valley and his son signed with the program. Um, and and it, you're right. There's so much more. This goes for football, basketball, high level coaches, what they're looking for at the bargaining table. It used to be. First off, I want to get paid and I want to take care of my family and get some generational wealth. Secondly, I want to make sure that our facilities are competitive across everyone we are trying to beat on a regular basis. And then third, I want to make sure my staff is well taken care of so they're not going to leave for lateral positions and I can have continuity there. Now you want to make sure your players are taken care of from a financial perspective. And it's a whole different realm, but it's very real because if you can't build a roster with those kind of resources, then you're going to be tied, you know, the hand behind your back kind of uh, kind of analogy there as a head coach. Let's get into some spring football talk before we jump into some recruiting discussion with Tyler Calvaruso. And I, I threw this question your way before we came on to record. There were 13 guys who took red shirts last year, a bunch of guys who burned red shirts, but 13 of them who played four or fewer games along the way, preserved that eligibility. And I pose it to each of you. Pick a couple that this spring you're particularly intrigued by. And Daniel, we'll begin with you in this conversation. Yeah, I went with the first name that popped into my head was Caleb Artis, uh, the defensive tackle. Um, I think when you look at that, the, the Penn State defensive line and, and what they lost in P.J. Mustafer and what they have in coming back, um, you know, Artis has the potential to be a bit of a, a space eater down there. Um, he's listed around 315 pounds. Uh, I think the next heaviest defensive lineman is at 302. Um, so that's someone that, you know, there will be an opportunity. Um, you know, obviously, I think defensive coordinator Manny Diaz is a good enough coach that he can adjust, um, you know, to the different personnel that's there. Um, I think that they'll have a plan, um, you know, going into next year without a PJ Mustafer type in there. But I think when you think when you talk about big bodies uh, on the defensive line, which is something that James Franklin has, has brought up a couple times uh, in these past couple of months. Um, Artis is kind of who you're drawn to, um, <clears throat> who you're drawn to and, and whether or not he can make an impact uh, in year two. Uh, the other name, Caden Saunders. Um, I think that when you think about that class of, of 2022 uh, and the guys that there was the most excitement around, um, obviously Aller and Singleton as the five stars and Denai Dennis Sutton, those were kind of the, the top three, but I think as you went down the list and you tried to project guys that might be able to make early impacts, I think Caden Saunders was someone that um, I think people were expecting to see a lot more of um, over the course of the year, uh, given his pedigree and, and what he had accomplished. Um, you know, it's been well documented at this point that he's had to change his body a little bit. Um, he's really had to work on getting in shape. And now I think as you spin things forward, it's sort of a, a similar position to, to last year where okay, there's opportunities here. Last year, you had Parker Washington, Mitchell Tinsley, Keandre Lambert-Smith um, as your top three, and you really wanted to see a number four uh, emerge. And, you know, Harrison Wallace did it at times, saw a little bit of Liam Clifford, uh, saw Omari Evans in spots, but there wasn't a definite number four. Um, coming into this year, you have Keandre Lambert-Smith back, and you have Malik McLean in the portal. Uh, Dante Cephas is supposed to arrive later this year. But there's still you still need to see some of these younger players to step up. So I think that Caden Saunders has the potential to do that uh, under Marcus Hagens. 
Uh, he says he's he says that he feels better. He's changed his body. Uh, and, he, and he's a lot more ready uh, for what's to come in year two. So I think that Artis and Saunders are, are both at positions where there's an opportunity. Um, and in year two, it just becomes a, a question of whether or not they can take advantage of that. Saunders was the first commitment of the 2022 Penn State recruiting class. He was a top 100 prospect on signing day. And naturally, there's a lot of attention on him as there is plenty of room for a bunch of young wide receivers to make their move. So Daniel gave us his two first. That led to your two, Mark. And why don't you share them with our listeners? Yeah, Daniel's nuts. How can you not say Bo Prabula <laughs> is the guy to watch? He's, he's going to be one snap away from being your starting quarterback. I thought it was going to be too easy. I know. Oh, I picked yeah, first. I wanted to leave first. something. Yeah, he needed he needed to leave me some some uh, somebody easy because uh, he's way more uh, he's way more intelligent on this stuff. Very thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, seriously. Uh, listen, um, I think everybody understands how this quarterback thing is going to play out, but we also understand that you know in the past few years they've need they've needed to rely on that second team quarterback at times and you knock on wood and you hope that nobody gets gets banged up but if they do we've learned that if you don't have a capable second team quarterback you're going to be in trouble and i'm just you know the the drew th- stuff is i think everybody understands the promise and the talent and, and, and all of that and that he's going to be the guy but if something happens, and I hope nothing does happen, what is this second-team quarterback going to look like? And, you know, you go back to his high school days and you see how mobile he was and the stuff he was able to do. You look at him now, he's actually, like, bigger and stronger. And then James Franklin teases us with they may, with they may try to use him in different roles. I think all of that's intriguing, and it's going to be fun to watch how he kind of develops. He's going to be a really important uh, part of this team. And uh, looking forward to seeing what we can see out of him in spring uh, in spring ball. And then I, I have to go with Venga Ione. I mean, he, listen, he is a mountain of a man. It was pretty funny because James Franklin. I said, I think he was it. Did he did he say he weighed two sixty nine? Something three sixty nine. Yeah, two sixty nine. Yeah. This is how insane this is. They're they're talking about a three hundred sixty nine pound guy on the roster. He's th- he's actually three fifty two. And somebody in the program said, yeah, you know, he could really go from like 369 to 352 in a day. It's really not that, not that much of a shift when you get to that weight. And I'm thinking, you know, it's not. But you guys have both been near him. And it's amazing. He does not look heavy. I mean, I mean, he, he, he's a massive human being, but he doesn't look he doesn't look fat. I mean, I guess a, 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 an indelicate way of putting it. And I just look at him and his athletic ability and his size, and I don't know where he's going to play because when you look at that offensive line, it would seem as if he's going to be kind of in a backup role. But I think they're going to have trouble keeping that that guy off the field. I mean, he just I completely did, completely agree. Yeah, and so those are two of the guys that I'm looking at. And uh, uh, I was just kidding, Daniel. You, you're 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 not crazy. You you had good picks too. Vengo Ioane is the first one that came to mind for me, and he's a guy that, that I've been, you know, talking about for a while going back to last season when he kind of, uh, you know, was what did not burn redshirt but got into that four-game action. And and I think right now when you're looking at his versatility, they're, they're going to use him as a potential centerpiece. Uh, certainly we know that, that he's going to be able to compete and push for opportunities at guard. Um, and then I, I guess I will go that route as well. And, and I talked about guys who redshirted. Not all of them were freshmen. J.B. Nelson was not a freshman. He spent a couple seasons at Lackawanna. and In fact, that's when they packed two seasons in, into one year because of COVID. So he came to campus last year technically as a redshirt freshman based on, or as a, as a redshirt sophomore based on his eligibility. He took a redshirt again. So if you want to kind of parse through it all, he's still a fourth-year sophomore. We'll call him a redshirt junior for the sake of, of COVID. Uh, at 27 years old. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a couple more years of eligibility with this guy. And I think he's another look, Landon Tengwell has worked his way back on the practice field. That's a big, big deal for them. Uh, you've got Nick Dawkins back on the interior as well after he missed essentially the entire 2022 season with an injury. Uh, Juice Scruggs has moved on. There's there's areas here where because of some of the maneuvering they're going to have to do with guards playing a little center, you know, 
injury away uh, from from JB Nelson being a mainstay on this offensive line. And maybe I'm shortchanging his ability to get it done without an injury helping his progress because he came in, he, he was used to playing tackle at the previous level. It was a spot that we knew Penn State was going to get a look at him as well. But it feels like he has found a home at guard. He dropped a significant amount of bad weight in year one. And then on the back end of that, put on good weight. And he always loved to see that kind of a transformation. Early enrollment was huge for J.B. Nelson. So I think he's very much a two-deep offensive lineman to look at. And depending on what goes on in that interior where you've got Salim Wormley, you've got Lennon Tengla and Hunter Norzow with starting experience, still doesn't feel like other like like you just referenced with Vega Ioane, feels like the door is open for someone to come in and assert themselves over the course of spring ball, over the course of preseason camp, and really – maybe force a rotation. We saw two rotations last year to start the season, one at left guard between Tengwall and Hunter Norzad, and then the other at right tackle between Caden Wallace and Bryce Efner. We may see Phil Troutwine say, I got seven guys I feel like we need to play to be at our best as an offensive line. And so Vega Ioane, J.B. Nelson, vying for that kind of a role. And then I'll go with the the, the traditional red shirt situation and and really kind of exactly what you think of when you you think of a red shirt and, and Jerry Cross, someone who's basically out of sight, on the back burner for those of us following the football program because we're so focused on who's getting ready for games, he didn't play in any games. We hardly saw him practice in 2022. He finished the year, though, on a high note on the scout team, able to get some of those reps under his belt, competing against Power 5 competition on his own practice field. And it feels like he has seized the opportunity here over the course of the offseason going into spring ball and what is a very interesting dynamic of a tight end room where you've got a couple proven guys at the top of this depth chart, got a guy a year ahead of Jerry Cross and Khalil Dinkins garnering some buzz as a potential roster riser. And then you've got three true freshmen who are now on the heels of Jerry Cross. So he's a guy that because of the situation and and because of what I think his role on this depth chart in 2024 could fluctuate dramatically based on who's around him in this room. Very intrigued by what Jerry Cross can accomplish because he is someone, if you just do the eyeball test, and and I did last week at practice, came away very impressed with where Cross is right now. He lost the last couple of years of his high school career. Injuries, part of that. Uh, COVID, a big part of that. And so we just haven't seen him play football in about three years to this point. I'm excited to see him get that opportunity. Hopefully we'll get some of that uh, in Beaver Stadium in a few weeks from now. Uh, But I would not rule out Jerry Cross in a very crowded tight end room to make some kind of an impact come season kickoff. Um, By the way, the 13 guys who took redshirt last year, Caleb Artis, Alex Paquetta, who's vying for the punter job, Jerry Cross, Christian Driver, moved over to wide receiver from cornerback, Vega Ioane, Anthony Ivey, and Tyler Johnson, and Caden Saunders at wide receiver, Tyrese Mills, along with J.B. Nelson as the Lackawanna Juco transfers, and then Keon Wiley at linebacker. So a lot of names who haven't proven much in a Penn State uniform to this point, but this is when you can really make those strides, 15 spring practice sessions. Fellas, uh, really appreciate the basketball coverage all season long. I know there's probably plenty more we could have picked up from the, uh, the autopsy of the hoop season, but we'll leave it there for now. Spring practice now at the forefront for us with Penn State Athletics and appreciate it. Hope you guys get a chance to to stay home for a week, relax, maybe catch up on some rest, and we'll get to Pro Day on Friday. Hey, apologies to the Ioane family because I keep pronouncing Venga's last name wrong, uh, but I will get it right, I promise. And, hey, listen, Tyler Calvaruso, he's off the hook for having to come and cover Pro Day. We're not going to the <laughs> so he can keep his 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 focus and his energy all on recruiting. We don't have to we don't have to enlist his help for Pro Day. Pro Day is going to be a blast. Can't wait. Yeah, a bunch to cover that. We'll preview that a bit later here uh, on the week before that Friday Pro Day. And again, we're back on the practice field, Daniel, Mark, and myself on Tuesday evening here in Happy Valley. So stay tuned for our coverage at lions247.com. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. 
All right. Uh, the aforementioned Tyler Calvaruso has been killing it in our recruiting coverage. It is a great time to be behind that paywall as a Lions 24-7 VIP subscriber. And he joins us right now on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler, we set the stage last Thursday. A lot of names to review. You have since spoken with a bunch of them for feedback from that experience. So has Brian Doan. So has Alan True. So has Steve Wolfong and our army of recruiting reporters within the 24-7 Sports Network, how would you surmise what Penn State put on this past weekend? Big weekend, man. You know, getting 60 guys on campus, many of whom were either top targets or guys who are going to go on to play FBS football one day, whether it be at the group of five level or the power five level. That is really just sums up the quality of prospect that they had on campus this past weekend. And as for the guys who were the top targets that made the trip, Penn State really did a lot of good work with – Probably the large majority of them, I would say. If you were a top target on Penn State's board entering this weekend and you made it to campus, you were prioritized heavily. You were made well aware of how much of a priority you were. And frankly, Penn State moved up a lot of lists on Saturday. The spring practice was great. Everyone was feeling the energy. Everyone loves sitting on the meetings. Coach Franklin did a great job talking to the recruits, laying things out for them. Like he, you know, he garnered a lot of praise from the guys I've gotten a chance to talk to. So... All in all, a pretty good start to the spring on the recruiting front for Penn State, I would say. Let's start with the quarterback position, and we have a lot of names to get to, but at quarterback, a new offer, a key visit, um, both considered top 100 prospects, and, and we'll begin with Cutter Bowley, uh, who is back in town. Yeah, yeah, we talked about him a little bit beforehand as a guy who, you know, he's in SEC country. He's got a lot of the SEC offers already. He, he's a, he's a top-tier quarterback. We're talking about a top-50 prospect. But it's starting to look like Penn State's going to be a real contender for him moving forward. Mike Erichus has done such a great job with the Kentucky native so far. And really the whole staff as well, Daniel Bryan. It, it's been a team effort by Penn State. And I think Bowley's starting to feel more and more comfortable with the idea of maybe leaving the region and exploring Happy Valley more. I think he'll be back in the fall for sure. They got him on campus last fall for the whiteout game. And I think he'll definitely be back for another game day visit just because Penn State has done, they've laid out the development plan. They've laid out the scheme for him pretty well. He got to see it himself up close and personal on the practice field. Loved what he saw on that front. And Penn State has really just established itself as a top contender. I know it's really early and we're going to be following this recruitment for a really long time with him as a 2025 guy who's still going to have a lot of visits to make. He's going to go through that whole official visit process. And, yeah, quarterbacks do commit earlier than most other recruits, but Bowie still doesn't seem to be in any sort of rush to be an early, early guy. So Penn State's going to be on this one for a while, but I don't think it's I don't think that's a waste of time in any way. I think Penn State's really right in this race early on, and that speaks to this effort that the staff has put in with him. He's probably their top priority at quarterback in that class right now. Yeah, Bowley at six foot five, two hundred plus pounds as a, a rising junior, Lexington Christian Academy. Um, and and by the way, he was one of two top five quarterbacks from that twenty five class on campus. We talked about him. He's number four in quarterback rankings for twenty four seven Sports early on in that assessment. The number five guy in those rankings, Beckham Kritza, out of Santa Margarita Catholic High School in Orange County, California. I used to live just outside of that high school, spent a lot of time. Always seems th uh, that they have a, a big-time quarterback coming through um, every few years there, and, and he's the next man up. And obviously when we talk about a Southern California quarterback spending a mid-March Saturday in central Pennsylvania, I'm interested. Yeah, he was part of that California contingent that made the trip out to Penn State. Some of those guys went to Pittsburgh, and then they all made it out to Ohio State. That was, that was an interesting group that made it to Penn State this past weekend, and he was among them. And, yeah, the top five quarterback in the class for a reason, I would say, after watching his tape. Wasn't really familiar with him up until this month, being a California guy. Wasn't necessarily on my radar, but I watched some film when we got word that he's been making it to campus. And he can sling it. He, 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 you, you see why Mike Gertrude is interested in him, man. He, he can sling it. 6'4", 180, still growing into his frame. He already has a pretty strong arm, but I think his arm can get it even stronger as he adds more upper body strength. I, I think there's a really high ceiling with him. And he hasn't touched double-digit offers yet. I, I think that's going to change pretty soon. Pitt offered after he was at Penn State. So, Chris is a, he's an interesting guy. He, he told me that he really loved the scheme, mainly because he likes the multifaceted way Penn State could use its quarterbacks. He feels like his athleticism could play in that system. He could get out of the pocket, make throws on the run, run when he has to, you know, use his legs to make plays. That was something that really stood out to him. Like the facilities, he's looking to get back at some point, he told me. So this is another 2025 quarterback recruitment we're going to have to monitor. 
Bowling might be the priority, but Chris is on the board now, and he's definitely on the on the radar as well. I want to see this offer list in six months from now because this yes. guy who started his he started his high school career in Boulder, Colorado, which Colorado has offered Deion Sanders in Colorado in 2025. I have no idea, but it's interesting because there is a relationship in place there already being built uh, for a guy who who has some roots in Colorado in that area and is now in Southern California. He's expected to step up, be the guy for Santa Margarita, and when you get that chance, you're going to be facing on high level competition, power five defenders across the field from you. So if you flourish in that kind of a setting. Where where the spotlight's always on Orange County, Southern California football. Yeah, this is going to be a, a recruitment that you kind of rewrite a little bit uh, as he is a junior. But to already have a little bit of that, uh, you know, something to lean on, to stand on for the Nittany Lions staff with two of the top five quarterbacks in that recruiting class, a lot to like about that possibility. And, and of course, they're still looking uh, for a passer in the 2024 class uh, at this point as well. Uh, and, and Tyler, let's get over to some other non-quarterback names. Plenty to get to here. Jameer Grimsley is an in-state defensive back. We discussed the multi-day visit that he had coming up last weekend. It happened, and it seems like Penn State's in a really good spot with him. Yeah, multi-day visit that probably went as well as it could have gone for Penn State. We were really looking to make him feel at home while he was on campus, and they accomplished that. They did a really good job with him. Terry Smith has really spearheaded Penn State's effort with Grimsley, and that's why they're going to get an official visit in June. He's locked in for that June 9th weekend. He'll be back on campus for his official. This is starting to remind me a lot of the Elliott Washington recruitment in the sense that Terry Smith has just established himself as such a strong presence among the rest of the programs pushing for him. You know, Penn State, they, they're they well respected in Florida. You know, they go down to Florida and they get guys there every cycle. It's very clear that those guys who come from Florida, they develop in Happy Valley. So that's something that's worth noting. And Grimsley's well aware of that. And that relationship between him and Smith is really good. He likes his fit on as an outside corner in the defense, so that's also working in Penn State's favor. I just feel like Grimsley coming back for an official after already taking a multi-day visit. And I know officials are different than you know a regular multi-day unofficial visit. You know, there's a lot of nuances that are different, and you get to do more in an official visit. That goes without saying. But for a guy to take a multi-day visit to campus and get a feel for the facilities and get a feel for the campus and get more comfortable with the staff to then turn around and say, hey, look, I want to be back for an official in a couple months. I think that really does speak to the level of interest he has in the Nittany Lions at this point. Florida State's in pretty strong with him. They're going to be pushing hard to keep him home. And we saw Penn State battle with Florida State last cycle for Conrad Hussey, and it went Florida State's way. Penn State's hoping this one goes its way. Yeah, it takes too much of an effort to get from Tampa, Florida. I, I I misspoke, by the way. I said he was in state. I had the next guy I had on my list is in state, and I, and I got a lot of names. Over. Man, I don't blame. Yeah, <laughs> Tampa Catholic though, um, and and so like you said, to invest the time, and in this case with an unofficial visit, some financial resources to have this experience and want to do it again in just a matter of months when you're talking about a, a rangy cornerback who's going to have 30 offers by the time his junior uh, senior season starts a lot of places he could be uh, for weekends so for him to, like you said to turn around quickly and say let's do it again that's huge and, and a guy that has that length that that terry smith has coveted at cornerback and we've seen them capitalize on it at cornerback uh over over the years as well uh, malachi williams was the in-state prospect i had on my list coming up next at a monsignor bonner uh, a four-star composite edge rusher and a guy that penn state got to host as well so williams makes it back to campus getting he, his his goal for this weekend i would say was to just get more face time with Dion Barnes and get more comfortable with him. They already have a pretty good relationship because we've touched on it time and time again. Dion Barnes knows all these 2024 defensive linemen already. This isn't new territory for him. And it's not fresh waters for the recruits coming to campus as well. A lot of these guys already know Dion Barnes and Williams is one of them. He wanted to watch Barnes coach, you know, during practice and liked what he saw, liked how he interacted with his players, liked what he saw out of him during positional meetings. So, I think this was a big weekend for not only just Penn State, but Barnes himself, because all the feedback that we've received from top defensive line targets who made it was just really rave reviews for Barnes. So for him to come out of the gates and make that strong of an impact on guys like Williams and others, who I'm sure we will talk about very shortly, it, it, it's a great start. You really can't ask for much better of a start for Barnes. But with Williams specifically, he told me he's looking to commit before his senior season. Very high on Penn State at this point. Wouldn't surprise me if they got an official visit. Definitely wouldn't surprise me if they got an official visit based on what he was saying. So 
Nittany Lions got to like where they sit here. He's going to get out. He's got Texas A&M and Notre Dame visits coming up. So he's got some exploring to do. But Penn State's going to be in his mind as he does it. You mentioned uh, the defensive line talent on campus, and you can almost start that conversation with Aiden Breland. Uh, two dozen plus offers at this point, six foot five, 290 pounds, considered a top 10 defensive lineman and a top 100 overall prospect in 24 7 sports evaluation out of Mitre Day High School, one of those big time powerhouses in Southern California. He was part of that contingent of travelers that you referenced earlier. They saw a few campuses, but to get a guy like Breland, with you for a bit, leave something in his mind, let him digest it a little while, and maybe you can get the 2024 prospect back on campus. This is essentially the kind of interior defensive line prospect that every guy, every program in the country covets on an annual basis. There's only so many of them who pack that talent, athleticism, and size, but there's a reason his offer sheet features the likes of Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and, and so on. To be completely honest with you, I think this was one of Breland's visit, biggest visits to date, and here's why. He traveled to State College. Yes, he was part of that contingent, but he had an eye on this visit for a while. He didn't have an offer for Penn State coming into this weekend, but he mm. wanted one. And he made, the, he made that very clear that he wanted a Penn State offer because he said, hey, look, if these guys <clears throat> offer me, I am going to be very interested in what they've got going on over there. So you hear that. You see the offer come down. You hear that he and Barnes really hit it off. And he and James Franklin really hit it off. That's some of the feedback we've gotten there. So I, I think, you know, this is a West Coast kid Penn State's got a real chance at. And a modern-day kid, nonetheless. I mean, you get a modern-day guy in your program. They, they, All those guys get to the Power 5 ranks well-coached. They're ready to go. And Breland's physically there. He's there from his technique standpoint as well. I, I love his film. And I, I could see why Penn State wanted to get him in person to make that offer. I definitely think there is a chance that he makes it back for a June official. I, I know he's still examining his options, and he, he said that he wants to make a lot of unofficials this spring. But I think given the fact that this was an offer that he coveted, and then Penn State was able to form that relationship with him in person so quickly to the point where they offered just like that, like they, they knew that he could be a fit for them. I think that places him pretty highly on the interior defensive line board, which is a pretty loaded board. So I think for him to jump into the upper echelon kind of right off the bat, that says a lot about the talent level and how the staff views him as a potential fit. So, yeah, I think this is a name we'll be talking about this summer because he seems like an official visiting candidate from all the feedback. Well, we've witnessed some of these West Coast groups of prospects swing through Happy Valley, some other Big Ten campuses in early spring in the past, and then you're kind of waiting to see if there'll be any kind of follow-up official visit. Very rare to see that be the case, but if they were to pull that off, uh, to your point, uh, it would be a massive step about what they were able to accomplish here during one day on campus in March. And, and with Brian Robinson, another top 24-7 uh, defensive line prospect, a guy who's on the edge here, six foot five, 255 pounds. When you watch him, he posts a lot of workout videos. One of the more impressively put-together prospects in this entire 2024 class out of Fitch High School in Youngstown, Ohio, considered the number three prospect out of that state. And um, he's got a lot going on in the Big Ten, and he took a longer look at Penn State. Very put together physically and off the field as well. He's a very mature guy. He's one of my favorites to catch up with in this class. He's always, he's always got a lot to say, and he goes really in-depth. When he goes on these visits, man, he's looking at fine details that a lot of other guys aren't looking at. I can tell you that. He, he he's prepares for all these visits, man. He, he's always ready to go when he gets on a campus. And he had a good relationship with John Scott Jr. But for Penn State, what really helps them with this is Dion Barnes was one of the first coaches to really establish contact with Robinson as an underclassman. This is back when Barnes was working in an all-field role, obviously. And he Robinson has said, he told Steve Wilfong that Barnes was one of the first coaches who truly believed in him. This is back when Robinson was playing quarterback at the high school level still. He, Barnes saw that defensive line potential in him. And that's why Penn State has been involved in his recruitment for such a long time. They were one of the earlier, earlier programs to offer him. So coming out of this weekend, what I've been hearing is that I, I still think Michigan has the lead with Robinson. I think the Wolverines have done a very, very good job with him. His visit that he took there earlier this month, they really hit it out of the park with him. The crystal balls are reading Michigan right now. I agree with that sentiment. I definitely think Michigan is on top. But any ground that Penn State needed to close with him this weekend, it closed. It's a lot tighter of a race now. And I know people have questioned, you know, if an Ohio State offer 
comes along, what would that mean for Robinson's recruitment? I don't think Ohio State's really that heavily involved right now. It doesn't seem like the Buckeyes are really pushing there. So it seems like if this could stay as a Michigan-Penn State battle, while Michigan leads right now, I think there's going to be more opportunity for Penn State to make a move as they did this weekend. And I think they're going to be right in the thick of this race really until the end. But I would just, again, to reiterate, I do think Michigan is on top coming out of this weekend still. When we look at the wide receiver position, you addressed Deion Barnes having you know his first experience as being the, the defensive line coach for Penn State football with recruits and their families in town. Uh, well, same deal, same deal for Marcus Higgins. He's been the wide receiver coach for another program for a very long time, but new stomping grounds, new prospects to discuss with. And he had a couple, a, a few uh, a notable wide receiver targets on campus. We're going to focus on a pair of top 24-7 prospects in Micah Gilbert, a six foot three, 200-pound receiver out of Charlotte Christian down in North Carolina, and then a very different build in Jare Hawkins, who's five foot nine shy of 170 pounds and a newcomer down at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. Yeah, polar opposites there, but two guys Penn State is really high on, and that, that's kind of why. You know, they both bring something different to the wide receiver room, starting with Gilbert as a regional guy. What really stood out to him was not only the way Penn State practiced with so much energy, but how efficient they were during practice. Now, things ran so smoothly, and that stood out to him because, you know, Hagan's He's still new. He's still getting, you know, this is his first spring practice with the Nittany Lions, and it already looked like he'd been there for years. You know, he was comfortable with his guys, and he called it a well-oiled machine when he caught up with Brian Doan. And you could, you know, you could understand why he was saying that based on the feedback he was providing. He was just very impressed with Penn State's new wide receivers coach. And Higgins did a really good job with him when they got the talk as well, you know, just selling his vision for him in his wide receiver room, how he'd fit into the offense. So did a good job with Gilbert. I would say they did an even better job with Hawkins. Hawkins is a guy he has maintained with me really throughout his recruitment that Penn State's high on the list, and he's pinpointed Penn State as, as his leader at multiple points. He, I know he just released a top six, but Penn State is at the top of the top right now. It really just comes down to the fact that Hawkins feels Higgins has worked with receivers similar to his skill set in the past, and Penn State has had receivers of his skill set similar in the past, you know, KJ Hamler type guys. I mean, you got a guy, Carmelo Taylor, coming in who's a sure. speedster, just like Hawkins. Granted, Hawkins is a little bit on the shorter end of the spectrum at, at five foot nine, but he's a burner. And he sees that Higgins has experience working with guys like that. He sees Penn State as a program has experience coaching up guys like that and getting them to the next level. And that's something that catches his eye. Now, with, with Hawkins being at IMG Academy now and not being home in Wheeling, West Virginia, you know, you kind of take a look at those Florida programs that are in his top six, Florida, Miami, and he they're, they have easy access to him now with him being at IMG, you know, him being a, now a local guy in Florida. That's someone both programs could really push for. And I'm interested to see what kind of an impact that will have in his recruitment. Cause I remember shortly after he transferred down to IMG, Florida was one of his first stops. He wanted to get there and check them out. And then Miami, not so far after that, he made that trip as well. So I'm interested to see how those two Florida programs come on in his recruitment. We're talking about a top 24-7 receiver who in our new top 24-7 rankings is going to have a pretty lofty place. And between the speed and the development that he's had as a receiver, I feel like he's a guy who could just keep rising. And he's so high on the Penn State board at this point. And Hagens has kept Penn State really, really in the thick of this race. And they will be there. And – I do like Penn State as Hawkins' leader right now. I want to see how things go for him throughout the summer. He's going to be back for the spring game. So that's, you know, coming back less than a month later. Again, yeah. another another situation that kind of speaks to a guy's level of interest. I want to see how things go with him throughout the summer. Where does he decide that he wants to take officials to? But right now, Penn State, I'm comfortable saying there is a leader. Yeah, he's knocking on the door of top 100 prospect consideration for 24-7 sports. So if I scared anyone away with the 5'9", 160-some pound listing, let me, follow that up by, him, let me follow that up by mentioning he was the first place finisher in West Virginia's uh, state track meets at 100-meter dash and 200-meter dash as a sophomore and then went down to IMG Academy and quickly won the Florida Indoor Championships at 60-meter dash. So this is a guy who's doing it at a very high level in track and field, and he can run away from it. We, we talk a little bit about Carmelo Taylor and a guy who really blew up on the spring track field last spring uh, and it put him in a position for football. This is where the two are a lot more married 
there's a lot of football evidence and there's a lot of track and field evidence. So you're not quite playing as much of catch up as you did with Carmelo Taylor, who was a very late riser in the rankings. That rise has come much earlier for yes. a guy like Hawkins. I wanted to finish off with another pass target here and, and, a, and a new offer uh, out of New England. And it's Luke Reynolds, tight end out of Cheshire Academy. Uh, we have seen Penn State, uh, you know, put out offers to those prep schools up in the Connecticut, Massachusetts region with pretty well regularity. And this is a guy, Luke Reynolds, came to campus uh, with nearly 20 offers to his credit, pushing six foot five, 220 pounds, but not a ton of high level power five offers. He's got at least one there, though, with Penn State entering the mix. This was a big offer for Reynolds. He'd been telling me that he had covered, coveted, excuse me, a Big Ten offer for a really long time. And he was happy that Penn State was the program that came calling. He camped during the summer. It didn't get his offer then. Had a really solid junior season for Cheshire. Kind of popped more into the Power 5 radar after that. I believe the Power 5 programs we've offered recently, I, I believe it's Boston College, Virginia Tech, Stanford, that, that tier of school. And for him, he feels like Penn State is kind of, you know, that next level offer that he's really wanted for a long time. And he's looking forward to getting back on campus. He doesn't know when exactly, but he said he's excited for the next time the opportunity presents itself. And it, it's something that we've continued to hammer home here. And I'm probably going to keep saying it until the situation at the position is rectified. Penn State is going to be very, very, very selective at tight end this cycle, given what they took last cycle and given the current state of the room. You take three guys, granted Mega Barmo, we just don't know where he's going to end up at the end of the day. We'll see. So even if it is two guys, but it's two guys they really like in Joey Schlaffer and Andrew Rapley, guys who could play potentially early. So they're going to be very selective at tight end this cycle. And when you have names like Caleb Odom, who are already locked in for – he's already locked in for an official in June. Brady Caprice Corner, Michigan, still on the board. And Reynolds, he's part of that now. And I think there's definitely a chance for him to rise in the pecking order. I also think there's a lot of developing for him to do as well. He's very versatile right now, but I think he's got some developing to do physically. I think he's got to improve as a blocker. He's still learning the tight end position and what it's going to take to get to play that position at the highest level. I think he's getting there in his development. Physically, you know, six foot five, he's well built. There's a lot there to like. And Ty Howell saw that getting him on campus, saw it on tape, issued the offer. So I think Penn State's going to remain pretty involved in his process moving forward. And we'll see what comes about. Maybe, you know, Penn State opens up and Reynolds is in a position where he can call Happy Valley home. Well, I pointed out that that Reynolds uh, with the Penn State offer, that's kind of a separating offer from, yes. from the pack of his of his list. It's not like the teams that are flirting with, with New Year's Six Bowls on that list. But yes. one thing that stands out to you, you mentioned Stanford offered. Stanford is as selective as any program in the mm -hmm. country when it comes to extending scholarship offers because of the ac academic requirements that you got to go through to be able to play football there. Well, he's also got offers from Dartmouth. UPenn, Ivy League offers on the table too. And that's something that always catches your attention when you've got that blend of, of a school like a Penn State, uh, not knocking Penn State's academics at all, but when you've got Ivy League offers on the table, it says a lot about how you've handled your yeah. high school career as an athlete and as a student and how you're projected to do so uh, entering your young adulthood. Uh, so there's another busy week upon us. We'll be back on the Penn State practice field today. And Tyler, we know prospects are going to be back on the Penn State practice field today. You've already made that clear with some reporting at lines247.com. What are we looking ahead to with this week of spring ball and, and the potential impact on recruiting? I mean, just touching on just starting with today, I mean, you already got Jason Cross on campus, who a Pittsburgh D back. Penn State likes him. He's a three star guy. Was supposed to be part of the Saturday group of visitors, had a little bit of a scheduling conflict. He's on campus today. That's a, a player who Penn State does have on its radar. A, a lot going on with the safety board right now. He's really just the start of it. There's, it's going to be another pretty good weekend for Penn State. You know, we're tracking down who's going to be making it to campus, who isn't going to be making it to campus, who is maybe pushing off their visit a little bit more towards April because we've had some guys do that as well. But this might not be as big of a weekend as last weekend, but it's still a pretty solid weekend that's taking shape. And we're going to have those names continuing to come online 24-7. We're going to have names throughout the week just as we did last week. A lot of guys who maybe don't have offers from Penn State but are in the conversation – making it to campus guys who do have offers from Penn state making it to campus. So a lot going on right now, man. It's a busy time. It's been a fun month. I got to say, I like it a lot better than February, man. It's always a good time when you get guys back on campus. And not to mention, by the way, that that basketball transfer portal is going to start oh, yeah. really heating up for Penn yeah. state. It already is. Uh, we've seen them build their roster out in some important ways through the portal. 
you're going to see them try to do that again. Of course, we got to get some some something solidified when it comes to the head coach position for Penn State Hoops, as we discussed with Daniel and Mark earlier. But uh, the transfer portal is going to be part of that. I know you're going to be covering a bunch going on there as well. So plenty going on at Lions247.com. Appreciate the insight on the weekend that was here in Happy Valley. Uh, a lot of coverage at Lions247.com between you. Brian Doan, Alan True. We had Greg Biggins chipping in big time awesome, from the man. West Coast this weekend. So uh, really cool to see that uh, over at lines247.com. Thanks, Tyler. Of course, man. It's always a team effort. I'm just glad to be a part of it. Damn right. Talk to you soon. Uh, speaking of team efforts, it was one today here on the podcast. All four of our full-time staff members helping carry the load. Tyler Calvaruso, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen. Again, I want to give one more shout-out to Mark and Daniel for their fantastic coverage of this Penn State basketball season. Coming out of February, few could have even imagined it would reach the doorstep of Sweet 16. Penn State basketball, not quite able to get it done, but these guys covered every step of the way and uh, appreciated their coverage on the site, on the podcast. Uh, we'll focus in on spring ball this week uh, with our second episode. We'll give a look towards Penn State Pro Day uh, with NFL scouts swarming to campus on Friday for a look at these draft prospects. For now, stepping aside, getting back to work on the site, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lions 24-7. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats.